Welcome to VCast, where church and culture come together. My name is Jacob, and don't forget to follow and subscribe to this podcast to stay updated on new episodes. This month, we'll be talking about missions. Missions is very important to God, so much so that he sent his son Jesus to be a missionary for us. And we know Jesus wants us to carry on his mission. But how do we accomplish that mission? Let's dive into his word and find out. Last episode, we were talking about Jesus being the greatest missionary and that he displayed that by his sense of community, his desire to uh, for reconciliation and his uh, ability to proclaim that to people and to um, also uh, proclaim the, the message of repentance, which is a very important message for people to understand is that that God wants a reconciliation with us we also likewise should desire to turn away from our old ways and and to and to reach for god um but now one of the things that i wanted to say another aspect of the father and son um that i find that is true of both of them was that they had this proclamation nature but that it because it's like it's natural for them it's not something you have to try to do it's the same thing. I think it's the same with believers as well. Like when somebody first encounters Jesus, it is so natural for them to go out and proclaim the good news of what they had heard. Um, and and so for me, I, I had a. I think we have a few examples that I think are really good of that. Like for example, the at the very beginning with um, when Jesus is first born, and those shepherds say, "Hey, listen, there's a." Uh, a, a, a virgin who is conceived and his name shall be Emmanuel and the angels tell them hey go see Jesus they go to see Jesus and after they do like their first instinct and first reaction is to go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus like that's their instant reaction which I thought was really really cool because it, it shows that that is that is your reaction because I, I like think about it this way like when you first got saved you told everybody about it. Like you feel so good afterwards. Like when you when you really repent and you're just like really in a good like a state of repentance and your God has just impacted your heart in such a way that you feel brand new, right? You cried for like six hours and just like all the mocos and baba are coming off of you're you. You're crying as soon as you get saved. You're crying like every day for yeah, the yeah, next yeah. couple of days. Yeah, like you're just very sensitive. And but but one of the things that I noticed in my life and that I've noticed in the lives of many believers, if not all believers, even the shy ones, is that the minute you get saved, you're telling people about it. Yeah. So I even witnessed that with myself. Um, yeah. Went to college. Um, had a lot of te- um, teachers. I've talked to you about this before. A lot of professors that really challenged. <laughs> that faith if i never had that um encounter with christ and his love and 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 gotten saved i would have just let them teach whatever i would have they were teaching and they were teaching some crazy stuff to my professors they were just talking about how um not just against um christianity but just jesus right and how he wasn't this and he wasn't that i would have just stayed quiet before but when i had gotten saved i was a raise my hand i'm sorry but that's just not correct and it's that's something that i would never have done before yeah but the second that um i got saved i wasn't ashamed about it anymore i was like yo first off that's completely false i don't know what you're teaching these kids but it's it's just not true so yeah i definitely agree that when you have that encounter immediately you're just like i gotta tell somebody 
it, it, it's every everybody's reaction and and i think there's some biblical backing for that too like um there's an example where jesus heals a demon possessed man mm -hmm. right and after healing this man the the man wanted to follow jesus um and he wanted to tell jesus but jesus goes no i think it'd be better if you went home and told uh, if you went home, go home to your friends and just tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And then it says that he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. Right? What did he say? Go where? Go home and proclaim what the Lord has done for you. And instead of going home, the man goes to the city and just starts telling everybody how much Jesus had done for him. And every person he encountered marveled. They marveled not simply because of the good news, but they marveled because they knew who he was before. And I think that's a very powerful statement because the the miracle, the most miraculous thing you can see is the transformation of a human being. Like for example, a deaf person who had been deaf their whole life can now hear what in the world? Who did this? Jesus, I need some of that, right? And this is what happened was this guy was a demon possessed man that was causing issues for people but now he's a sane human being who is a productive member of society again after one encounter with jesus go home tell your friends nope gonna tell the entire decapolis right um we have another one too mark 7 did yeah. you want to talk about that one yeah mark 7 31 um this is the deaf man and it says um then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought him they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, you had brought this up earlier, he put his fingers into his ears and after mm -hmm. spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, mm -hmm. that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Right. Yeah. So. And so I think it's my assumption, too, that the reason why this man was considered mute and that he couldn't speak was because, or that he was deaf and couldn't speak was because... Um, not every person who is deaf feels comfortable speaking and some may even uh, struggle to even get any type of speech out. Um, it may also signify that he had been deaf for a long time, that he never really learned how to talk mm -hmm. and maybe just kind of made sounds. Um, and so for me seeing that, it was like, hey, don't go tell anybody. And what does he do? He tells he tells everybody and, and yeah that is something that we see a lot of in the bible even if we were to like hop into acts what happens after they got beat they just went out and started preaching again yeah, yeah. They're like the more you tell mm -hmm. me to be quiet about it the more i actually want to go out and um and proclaim it mm -hmm. so um and i think that's something that as um um uh as americans we don't really have a lot of it's not like we're getting beat for this stuff right which i feel can really put a a damper on how we go and proclaim it because it's like i can proclaim it whenever so i don't really need to do it i could just do it tomorrow but they were getting beat every day so it's like now the message is urgent because we might not be alive tomorrow so we need to get this out right so we have that kind of um leisure mm -hmm. here in america 
Yeah, and there was another example too in Matthew 27. This one's actually really weird. I'm going to read this one because for a lot of people, I don't even realize this happened. And for me, when I read it, I had to read it like a second, third time. And I was like, did this just say what I think it said? Oh, yeah. Um, so Matthew 27, 51. It says, at that moment, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So if anybody's familiar with the life of Christ, this is when Jesus dies on the cross, um, that the veil was ripped in two, the earth, the earth quaked and the rocks were split. And then it says in verse 52, the tombs, tombs, graves broke open and the bodies, right, of many saints who had fallen asleep which for those of you who don't know new testament um uh terminology fall asleep means they're dead we just talked about that when the girl the little girl died what did jesus say nah she's asleep <laughs> so these were people who believed in jesus or people who had faith in god who were dead rose from the dead verse 53 after jesus's resurrection when they had come out of the tombs they entered into the holy city and started appearing to people so i'm sitting here going what in the walking dead is going on here are these zombies like they're yeah that's probably what people would have thought imagine seeing like your your dead relative that you buried like a couple days ago just was there was everything restored yeah like i want to know were they walking out in bandages like mummies or was just (laughs) yeah it's okay so many questions so bizarre so bizarre and I didn't even know this happened until I read it in Matthew. And I was like, oh, because these guys are act. because it wasn't like G- they Jesus died. And then these guys come out of the uh, Jesus resurrects. These guys come out of the tomb and then Jesus just takes them straight to heaven. These guys go into the city. And the, these are back in their their dead bodies. It says the yeah. bodies. It's not like right. they came down from heaven and saying, oh, look, they're pretty horrified. Yeah, right? no, it was like these dead bodies came out of the tombs and by holy city i assume it means jerusalem yeah and, and do you think like where it's like some of these bodies probably like decomposed you, do, we don't know how long they've been in there i don't even want to talk to these people <laughs> but <laughs> they stink don't i don't they? want them talking to me but they were getting in people's faces and it they, why else would they go into the city mm-hmm. except to proclaim the goodness of jesus christ and that you're just coming back from the dead, and that's the first thing that you do. The thing was too that that did, I feel like that happened to Lazarus. And Lazarus, he says, "What Lazarus, come forth!" And he calls Lazarus out of the grave, and then they they try to hold them down because they're like, "Yo, there's a dead dude walking around." And Jesus goes, "No, let him go." And then he just leaves, and you don't hear from Lazarus after that. Where did he go? Yeah, that that was um, I, I don't know what happened there. I, I, um, I wonder if Lazarus went out to proclaim. You think so? I mean, every time somebody gets healed, that's the first thing they do is they go out and start proclaiming the good news. And um, the resurrection witnesses are, are no different. And even though that was really a weird, this is a really weird story. And I feel like it has to do with zombies. And those guys are probably decrepit and zombies falling confirmed. to pieces. <laughs> zombies confirmed. Aliens confirmed and zombies confirmed in scripture, just so you guys are aware. <laughs> yeah. um, no, we don't. We don't. We don't. Uh, the Bible says stay away from silly irreverent myths. So we're going to try not to go too deep into that. Um, so, yeah, we don't we don't get into, you know, all of these weird 
um what do they call those conspiracy theories and stuff yeah. like that like the bible says stay away from that stuff because honestly it's unprofitable they're fun, but they're not fruitful yeah. they, they literally take away from time you could be reading scripture you could be witnessing to somebody about jesus but we're instead surfing the internet for hours looking the up moon landing yeah like was the moon landing real like honestly god's like yo just stay away from it simply because it just wastes your time it's a waste of time but it, but again these are dead bodies walking out into the city probably decrepit and falling apart but the bible would refer to all of these people and say how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news Mm -hmm. um it's the same we see in the old testament um and it's in isaiah 52 uh 52 7 how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who publishes peace who brings good news of happiness who publishes salvation who says to zion your god reigns right this is the um, this is what the Bible says that people who proclaim the good news you said you got some good-looking feet <laughs> when in reality those are the ones that are beat up those are some messed up feet the ones that travel to bring the good news constantly oh yeah, walking yeah, yeah, yeah. around to bring the good news those are some beat up nasty looking right. feet but he says these are beautiful why because they have <laughs> gone through the most to bring the right. good news to everyone yeah this is romans ten fourteen. How how can they call on the one in whom they have not believed and how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard and how can they not hear without someone to preach and how can they preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news all is a beast man i know i love it i love all his epistles so much and it's such a simple concept it's like it is. how are people supposed to believe unless they hear because that, faith comes by hearing mm-hmm. and hearing by the word of christ the that's, gospel. that's the thing and so when, when paul's talking it's mostly common sense and you're just like wow yeah. that makes so much sense he's like how, how are they supposed yeah. to hear unless you tell them right right and so, that's so important in the life of us as believers is the proclamation of the good news mm-hmm. And again, that's another thing that has been given to us. Remember, we were talking about how God proclaims things, but he wants us to proclaim it. Why? Because He, he it builds relationships with others, but it helps us build our relationship with him as well. When we proclaim these things, when we go out and we say these things, it's through our obedience that we build a relationship yeah. with God. And I think that's why God has us do so many things. Mm-hmm. Again, it's like I, I remember um, you and I were talking about it. Um where why doesn't god just do stuff for his people why is did they have to wander for 40 years in the desert why did they have to go through all this god through your obedience wants you to understand what he's doing but also build your relationship with him yeah and that's why he has put so many things in your hands mm-hmm. he's like i'm trusting this to you mm-hmm. and i want you to get this done yeah i think that's what the bible says it says that god has entrusted us with the the ministry of reconciliation to reconcile people over to him. Um, uh, growing up, I was in a program called Full Armor. Were you in Full Armor? I was in Full Armor. You, were you my, did Full Armor. Yeah, yeah you I, was, my, uh... I know that I did a program, but I don't remember if it was Full Armor when we did it with you because it, it had many it was, different no, names. It was, so full it, was, armor. it was Full Armor. Because okay, we cool. got the little lamps at the end. I remember those. There you go. Ephesians chapter 6, right? The, the Full Armor of God. Um, I read through the Full Armor of God and I swear, bro, people be sleeping on the sandals. <laughs> that is the weirdest sentence I've okay. ever heard. Okay, so okay, so hear me out. So what does it say? Um, when we think about the armor pieces, what do you think about? You think of 
the, I think of the sword. That was like my favorite part. The chest plate of righteousness. No, that's the other. the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate yeah, of yeah. righteousness is that that yeah that, righteousness. That yeah. Um, and then it's uh, the sword of the spirit, right? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? The helmet of salvation, the 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 belt of truth, the shield, right? Didn't they talk about a shield and how you can, the shield of faith, how you can. Uh, extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. There's actually like action. And then 615 literally comes in and goes, oh, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So, so slept on. Like you literally, if you said the armor of God, I got the sword of the spirit. I got the helmet of but these salvation. Jordans? But these Jordans though, right? Like, and again, it's like it was it was because it goes so fast. It doesn't even really tell you much about them. But honestly, I would say this is probably one of the most vital pieces of your armor. Mm-hmm. Having your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel. Oh, piece. Yeah. Um, your shoes are sometimes the most important part of your fit. They're going to bring the whole thing together sometimes. And I'm just speaking because, you know, like you always want your shoes to match your outfit, dude. And if your shoes are off, everything else is off. You're going to look weird. Right. If you're wearing like if you got like the finest clothes, but then you're wearing some uh, Walmart, you know, shoes. The Air Jesus. Yeah, exactly. You're wearing like those open toed stuff like that. It's like and this is the worst analogy I've ever made, but it's just the one that came to my head. Um <laughs> but yeah it's it's so important to the rest of your um the armor that you're wearing right this is you have all this other stuff and again there's action but you need to you need to be able to move he's like and with your feet fitted with the readiness Mm -hmm. of the gospel of peace so like you're ready to get a move on you're ready to start marching and start going Mm -hmm. to um and you're protected but Mm -hmm. your feet need to be fitted with this readiness right you need to bring this gospel you have to be ready yeah you have to be ready for every opportunity that you have to go i like what you said last time when we talked about seeking to show hospitality that it, there's a difference oh, yeah. between seeking to show hospitality and just being hospitable mm-hmm. it's like i could be hospitable when but it doesn't mean i'm seeking to do it arises. Yeah. yeah i can just when the opportunity can, arises i'll be if hospitable. somebody gave you an opportunity to be a hospitable you'd be like uh i don't want to look bad so yeah I'll give you some money or I'll do this. Seeking, looking for those opportunities to be hospitable. That's different. Now let's apply that to the gospel. Not just having, not just like having opportunities to speak. I guess I'll speak it. Seeking. Are we seeking to spread the gospel? Does my soul long to do that? Right? Like do, does my, does my heart love lost people just like God does? Do I share the heart of God that I'm seeking and searching for that which is lost like Jesus would and always ready with the gospel to proclaim that good news. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, even if we go back to the lost parables that we were mm-hmm. talking about earlier, when the woman lost the coin, did she just stumble upon it? No, she swept and she moved everything. She looked for it. And she was looking for it. She moved everything in the house. She was sweeping stuff. She was moving couches, moving cushions, getting moving everything so she could find this one coin. And... Yeah, it's do we have that same zeal mm. to preach the gospel and bring it out? Be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, right? Like we have to be ready in season and out of season, always just prepared with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, right? Um, in Philippians 2, um, Paul has mentioned um, Epaphroditus, a fellow brother co-worker of his. And um, he was talking to this, in, he was talking to the church in Philippi, And he says, 
um, that this man has been longing for you. This is Philippians 2.26. He's been longing for you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice in seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. For um, I'm going to skip to verse 30. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in service to me. Epaphroditus almost dies delivering the, these letters that Paul is writing. And he puts it on, 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 on notice, like, this guy almost died delivering that letter, man. And you know why? You know, who would risk their lives for their friends? Jesus would. Isn't that what we talked about in the last series? When we talked about love, we talked about no greater love has, wait, what was it? No, no greater love has anyone than this, that a man lay his life down for his friends. Yeah. Right. This guy lays his life down for the sake of the gospel. I don't care what it costs me. I'm not afraid of any of the, the, the repercussions that come from this. I will put my life on the line if it means that I get to bring the gospel to you. Yeah, Jesus says, he says, do not fear him who can only destroy your body, mm -hmm. but fear him who can not only destroy your body, but also cast it. Your soul. Into, yeah. Yeah. Into, mm -hmm. it, into uh, hell. And it's a scary, it, that does sound like a little fearful, like verse, but when you look at it, it's like, um, it should be motivational as well. It's like, yeah. why should I be afraid? And that's what Epaphrodite, he wasn't afraid. He was like, why should I be afraid of dying? Yeah. I have to preach this gospel. I have to get it out there. And I think that our temporary life should be our motivation to preach this gospel. Mm -hmm. Right? It should be. I. What's the human like average lifespan in America? Like 70 years? Right? That's not a long time. I'm like halfway there, bro. Yeah. It's, you're, once you hit your 30s, you're almost halfway. Yeah. Because it's that, that's literally all the life that you have. And that's just the average. Some people are lucky enough to keep on living. But if that's how long you live, how eager are you to preach the gospel until you get to that point? You know what I mean? And you don't want to wait till the end because yeah. when you're in your 70s, you can't move. It's You're not going to be moving too much That's when you're you 70. you serve God while you're young, man. You That's why when yes. I see people waiting, oh, I'm just going to wait to serve God. I'm like, bro, do it while you're 12. Before your back gives out on yeah, you for real. Yeah, man, before you have a wife and kids and it becomes harder for you to mm -hmm. go and do these things. Go on missions trips. Go across the world and proclaim the good news of the gospel. Go build wells in, in, in countries that while need you're it. Healthy, like, yeah. like do something now while you're young, while you still have your health, while you still have your youth, your energy, your 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 zeal and your vibrance. Because as you get older, that all starts to go away. We're going to talk about that a little later too. Um, but yeah, like Paul said it, he goes, I'm hard pressed between two decisions. I could die and be with Christ. Dope. Or... I can live and be with you because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if I were to die, I'd be with Christ. And honestly, that's preferable for me is to just be with Jesus. Oh yeah. I, but yeah. for your sake, I'd rather stay alive, which means more freight, fruit, fruitful labor and more uh -huh. suffering. John the Baptist said something similar as well. He's like, um, if you kill me, yeah, send me with Christ. But if you keep me alive, I can just keep preaching. Mm -hmm. right? Was that him, John the Baptist? Sure. They were going to behead Probably. him, and they were trying to like make him scared. And he was like, "Do whatever, 
Yeah. You know, either way, it's a win-win situation for it's us. A win-win situation. And that's yeah. the thing. Right? Exactly. Like, that's the great thing about being Christian. It's like, whatever happens to us, it's win-win. Yeah, yeah. We we stay alive. We <laughs> just keep preaching. You kill us, we just go to right. we just go to the, God. It's a win-win. Paul, win. Say, Paul said, oh, to live is Christ. Oh, okay. Well, then we'll kill you. Well, to die is gain. <laughs> what is... And see, okay, so this is the part, the next part that I want to address. What the heck got into these people that gave them this kind of tenacity, this kind of boldness, this kind of courage? Bro, this is not... This is otherworldly. Yeah, how many people eyes. look death into the eyes and say, bet, right? Yeah, like, yeah. How many people actually do that? Like, bring it on, right? Who, who gets bit by a snake and then says... I still got work to do. Shakes it off. He got bit by one of the most poisonous vipers on that island. That's that's Paul. Paul. On um the island of um of Malta. Yeah, and when it bit him, everybody was like, oh my gosh, he's dead. This guy's dead. He's dead. He's cursed. The gods have cursed him and because just... everybody who dies from that type of a snake bite, they they're cursed. And he's just like throws it into the fire. <laughs> who shakes off the poison and the venom of throws it into asps, the fi- right? fire prophet prophetic? Oh. Hello. Come on. Somebody. I was like, I could fling this onto the sand, but I'm going to throw it into the fire so it'll be prophetic. <laughs> I don't think he was thinking too much. I think he got bit by that snake and he was like, oh. There's a fire right there. Might as well just, yeah. And then he looked up to the heavens and God's like, not yet. All right. You know? But but again, what what is getting into these people that's causing this type of boldness? And there's a perfect answer. The, the only Spirit. answer. Yeah. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. The Holy right? Spirit. As much as we want to take credit for it, it's really the Holy Spirit um, who empowers people to go out and be that bold. Mm-hmm. Um, like the disciples had uh, like their own Holy Spirit moment with Jesus. I don't remember if you remember this. So like we know of the one in Acts, but there's actually one that happens before that where Jesus is meeting with his disciples and then he blows on them. I think this is like if you go to a lot of like the super, super like Pentecostal, Pentecostal churches. Um, and um, probably not anymore because we have COVID, but actually some of them do still do it. But they um, they had this practice of when they would pray for you, some of them would be like, and they just blow on you. That's probably gonna be so loud. That blow into the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if you have headphones on. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Rip headphones users. Um, but yeah, so the, but Jesus blows on them and says, receive the spirit. And he empowers them for a temporary moment um and it's it's really interesting because when jesus blew on him it was the pneuma of god the word pneuma means spirit but it also means wind there they literally mean the same thing and in the old testament there was i think it was ruah um and the empowerment this empowerment was to bring boldness and passion to go out and preach and the greatest example of this, of course, is in Acts 2. Did you want to read uh, uh, Acts 2.1? Or should we read this? Or it's Yeah, yeah, we got to read this. Yeah, yeah. This it's is long, where, but it's worth it. This is where we get um, Pentecost. This is Pentecostalism right here. Right? Yeah, we're Pentecostals. So this is where we started. So, yeah, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews 
devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, um, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mock, saying they are filled with new wine. Crazy. Pentecostal power, right? The Pentecost power. So we see here that they began, Holy Spirit comes in the form of pneuma, wind. Um, it empowers them and... You know, as as Pentecostals, because we're we are Pentecostals, um, but but as a Pentecostal, I know that we tend to look at this scripture. A lot of us tend to look at the scripture and really focus a lot on the tongues aspect that, oh, my gosh, they were speaking in tongues. This is so great. But one of the things I want to draw attention to is that the tongues weren't heavenly tongues. Right. It doesn't say that. Because the people who came out there, they heard the sound of all these people speaking in tongues. But when they get there, they don't hear uh, he, they don't hear some weird language. They hear men speaking in their language. How many languages? I mean, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, um, uh, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, uh, Rome. Uh, Cretans, Arabians, like they, there's so many different languages being spoken and every single person in this moment is hearing in their native language what are they hearing? They're not just hearing them babbling or saying words they're hearing them preach the good works and the good news of, of Jesus. You know how crazy that must have been? Imagine like two different people looking at Peter but they're hearing their own language, but they're looking at the same dude. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, actually, that's that's a question that I think people still ask today. Was was the miracle in the preaching or in the hearing? Mm. Was the miracle that they heard their language or was the miracle that they were speaking their language? Which, honestly, same thing to me. It doesn't I don't think it'll make a difference. Um, no, however you see that. But one of the things that i really love is that this it's kind of a spectacle because a whole bunch of people run over there and this provided a powerful proof for powerful teaching that was the way that I, that i that i wanted to mention it powerful proof for powerful teaching cuz what what does peter do right after all these people rush in to see what in the world is going on he preaches and um Peter begins to preach and he begins to um, he begins to, to preach this message. And what does he do? What happens at the very end? If we look at Acts 241, it says, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3000 souls. Bro, could you imagine that? If heaven rejoices over one sinner repenting, imagine what happens when 3000 people repent on the same day and turn to Christ right like 
Peter preached and 3,000 people got saved. That's quite a sermon. And notice that there's a drawing in of people through some kind of miraculous sign and then a preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then it, salvation happens. It wasn't happens. an opportunity to boast or, wow, look what God did. Oh, all these people are coming. Now what? Preach. 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 Take advantage of this situation that there are tons of people here, right? Uh, another good example of this is right after Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 3. Did you want to read that one? This one's kind of fun. Oh, I love this one. Yeah. Um, Acts 3, that's the one with the paralyzed guy outside of the uh, temple. Mm -hmm. And um, Acts 3, chapter 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, do you want me to keep going to the other part as well? Because the other part is the most, like, I think is probably the, the most important part. After the right. miracle, when everybody comes to him, mm -hmm. Peter again starts to sing, here's another opportunity to preach. Yeah, and that's exactly what happens in Acts 3.11, mm -hmm. is that I'm going to leverage this situation. We did this miracle by the power of God. God did this miracle and raised this man up. Now a whole bunch of people are coming in to see what's going on. And now what do we do? Well, since we got him, let's preach to him. I'm fairly certain that in almost every instance in the Bible where there's a miracle, there's always faithful gospel preaching. Always. Because a miracle is pointless unless the gospel is proclaimed. Because really they, they serve as miraculous signs to draw people in. Now, do I believe that a miracle is because God loves people and cares about them and wants to give people miracles? Sure. I think that's true. I think those people receive those miracles because God wanted them to be whole. But at the same time, not everybody receives miracles. But when one happens, it is a powerful opportunity to proclaim the good news. And that's exactly what Peter does. Um, I don't know if we were going to read the, the, the whole thing. Um, but if you want to read it, it's Acts 3, 11 through, through 16. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Peter preaches and he just takes up that opportunity to, to spread the good news. And I really like that segue that he brings into it. He immediately points it back to Christ. He's like, everyone's looking at him. He's like, why are you looking at me as if I did something? I right. love it. That's my favorite response to like performing the miracle. Everyone looking at you. And he's like, why are you looking at me like I did something? Mm -hmm. And then he points them to Christ. Mm -hmm. The perfect segue. He's like, I didn't do anything. Yeah. I did it because of him. And then he started to preach the gospel. So, yeah, you're, you're completely correct that every miracle should serve as an opportunity to advance the gospel. Because yeah. if you just do the miracle and you don't advance the gospel, one, you take all the credit. Because if you're yeah. not pointing them to the actual person who did it, yeah. which is Christ. 
I'll warn, I'll warn everybody listening to this podcast that any man who does any miraculous sign but does not point you to Jesus, be careful. There are a lot of people out there who have these TV ministries or they have these big crusade ministries and they do amazing, wonderful signs and miracles and wonders. I've seen these crusades and they're great. Those things are great. But again, that's not the end. The goal is salvation. That's always the goal, right? That like, it's not for your own, it's not for entertainment. It's not because, oh yeah, we need miracles because then we'll believe in God. Even Jesus said it. He who seeks for a sign is part of this twisted generation and they shall receive no sign, right? What you need is the gospel proclamation, the understanding of, hey, be reconciled to God. You see this power? This power was only made manifest because of God, and he's allowing us to do this so that people would believe and trust in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Every miracle is meant to draw people to, to Christ. Yeah, I think Paul brings it up a couple times, but I know that he stresses the importance of the cross. Paul says, um, when I was among you, I decided to know nothing except Christ and him and crucified. crucified. Right? He's like, that's the most important thing. Everything revolves around that moment. Yeah. And he brings up another um, thing where he says, um, I, I forgot exactly what he said, but I know he says, um, lest I strip the cross of its power. Oh, yeah. yeah. He says, lest I strip it of its power, um, signifying that everything needs to be brought back to that moment or else it's all in vain. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't he say that too? He's like, I'm glad I didn't baptize none of y'all. Yes. And when he's speaking of, um, because people were arguing, oh, Apollos baptized me. Well, Paul bat Paul or, baptized no, by Peter, Peter and, and yeah. Apollos baptized me. And he's like, I'm glad I didn't. He baptized like three people, <laughs> like him and his like family. But he baptized the rest. He didn't because yeah. they would have just argued. Well, Paul baptized me. I, got, Paul I was baptized by Paul and Paul's better than Apollos and Apollos is better than Peter. And it's like, but he's like, so what? I planted the seeds. Apollos watered it. God's the one who pr brings the fruit. Whether in pretense or in truth. Oh, I don't man. care, man. Yeah, like Paul didn't care about any of that stuff. He At the end of the day, he's like, the only thing that matters is that the gospel is being proclaimed. This isn't about me. This isn't about my fame or about my ministry or making my ministry great. It's about doing the works of Christ, drawing men and women in and preaching the good news to them. And again, this is what every believer is required to do right where this is this should be our heart our heart should long to preach the good news but then you know i've been a christian for a long time and i can i can be honest that my desires for the lost can sometimes start to dissipate a little bit it can start to kind of fade off um i i think that happens naturally because i think that happens with anything video games after a while they become boring that's why they make part twos and part threes and because you go through that game drought and you're just like, yeah and you're just like i'm really tired of this i really love this at first but i'm not so in love with this anymore mm -hmm. if you're not careful that'll happen to your marriage where you start to go man we were super passionate and you know all of a sudden now it's like we don't even go out for dates or do anything and it's like well you have to cultivate that desire what happens when desires start to go away and i think there's some places in scripture that address this so um what's the first one um revelations 2 4 right um i i don't remember the context for this maybe this you was do. um 
but revelation oh this the context is, um, is really important i remember this one. one so this is the this is when G- jesus is speaking to the church so in the book of revelation jesus talks to all of the different churches and um this particular church um i really really want to get this right i have a a um i have an idea but i just want to make sure that i'm correct in this i haven't um, read enough of revelation because for me it was it. like I want to say it, but I don't want to get the name of the church wrong. But I'm I'm almost fairly certain. Is it when um, that, in that long list where he's going to like Laodicea and he's naming all the yeah, other churches? It, it's the church in Ephesus, I think. Hold on. Yeah, yep, to it. the church in Ephesus. Yeah, and again, this is the Ephesian church that we see. Mm-hmm. He wrote letters to this church. Um, a great church. Um, he even recommend uh, he even commends them. Like, man, you don't you don't tolerate false teaching. You guys, Ooh, Paul are, or Jesus? Pa- uh, uh, Jesus is saying this in to the church. Like, you are guys are doing a great job. You you don't tolerate false teaching. You're holding. You're you're admonishing one another. You're doing a great job. But he says, but I have one thing against you. You have abandoned your first love, right? What a horrible thing to hear. Like, you used to be passionate. He's like, you're doing a great job and everything's fine and all the little bells and whistles are good. You have the basics down. But the thing that I have against you is that you've kind of forgotten your first love, right? You have abandoned it. Therefore, keep in mind how far you have fallen. What is the key word here? Repent and perform the deeds you did at first. But if you do not repent... I will come to you now. Remove your lampstand from its place. Um, and I knew that sounded familiar because I just got brought to Jeremiah two four. Um, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. I've said this multiple times, and like I've brought up this verse. What wrong did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? Right. And went after worthlessness and became worthless. Jesus saying the same thing. He was like, "You've forgotten your first love." Mm-hmm. Jeremiah saying the same thing. God is saying it again. You've forgotten. Your first love. Yeah. And he, and he says what? Like, okay, I'm married. Man, we used to be so passionate, me and my wife. We used to we used to go out on dates. We used to be adventurous. We used to go places. Now we don't even do that. I, I just don't know what to do anymore. Uh, here's a bright idea. Why don't you just go and do those things again? And 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 you you would you feel really stupid because it's like you're right. And the thing is that <laughs> Yeah. You might have it might have it might have been so long since you've done them, you might have forgotten how to do them. Yeah. But the thing is that if you continue to just keep doing them again, you'll start to get the hang of it and be like, I remember this. Right. Right? So like, yeah, it's just like I haven't brought her out on a date in forever. Yeah. I kind of forgot how to do this. Yeah. But like we, if you start doing it again, you get back into it. Cause I've done the same thing where it's like there have been times when I haven't read my Bible in months. Mm-hmm. literally like i haven't even opened it like i was only reading the verse of the day and i was like okay yeah. that's good enough and i started getting back into it i was like i kind of forgot how to read this thing so i just kind of just kept going through it and going through it. and i was like i remember how to do this yeah. now yeah like like god is saying remember when you used to say my soul clings to you your right hand upholds me do you remember when you said as a deer pants for flowing streams so my soul longs for you my soul my soul pants and longs for you like my soul thirsts for you, a God, for the living God. Like, I remember I was super passionate about God, but over time, that passion starts to dissipate. And the same thing is true with my evangelism. Like, I remember when I first became saved, I used to go out and preach the gospel all the time. I would tell everybody about Jesus, but then after time, you start to get really comfortable and complacent. And honestly, we don't have time for that. Um, for example, in Second Timothy 2.1, 
Um, he, he's talking to Timothy and he's telling him, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Um, he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Verse four is the key. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I love that verse, right? Think about a soldier who is supposed to be fighting in against an enemy and goes into a foreign nation to go fight the enemy. But instead, he what? Starts to fall in love with the enemy and he gets distracted and he's off duty. What happens? He went AWOL. That's what they used to say is that he he joined with the enemy and and God in a similar fashion, I think through this scripture is showing us if you're a good soldier, you don't get caught up in civilian pursuits. The problem is not that you lost your passion, passion, your passion is just on something else. Mm -hmm. We never lose passion. We never lose passion. We're always passionate about something. It's just whether or not we align those passions with where they're supposed to be. Pastor Allen was preaching about this actually um, uh, last month in the sermon series for um, uh, the Pillars of Love. And he, he spoke about the pillar of priority, that God needs to take priority. And so does your marriage. And it's so true because if those things don't become priority and you don't have passion for those things, everything else falls apart around you. It is a pillar that keeps the house together. Yeah. Um, he also says that an athlete can't be crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share in the crops, right? Like he's like, think about these things. This is what it means to not be distracted, right? To not let distractions creep in and take you your passions away from God. It always scares me when you meet up with older ministers who always talk about the glory days. I remember back when I was 20, man, I was, bro, people were getting saved left and right. And I'm like, well, why is that not true anymore? That's scary. That's scary to think that at some point I'm going to get to a certain age where it's like I'm not reaching as many people as I used to when I was younger. And I get it because you don't have as much energy and, you know, your focus is on building other building in different directions. I'm not saying that it's bad to say those things, to 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 look back and say, wow, man, I remember when God really used me. God should always be using us. You know, we should always be reaching people. And the problem is not that we're not devoted to God. It's that our devotions have been divert, diverted right mm -hmm. um first corinthians talks about that a little bit he, he's uh, paul is talking about being married and he goes listen I, it would be great if everybody was single like me but not everybody can be single and he's like but be careful though like don't and and this is for all the young people who are listening to this don't jump quickly into a relationship with somebody because even paul says it bro the married man is not con is not concerned with the things of god he's concerned with how to please his wife and the married woman is not concerned with how to please god she's concerned with how to please her husband right because as you get married all of a sudden you have this other person in your life that you're devoted to and you're trying to be devoted to god while being devoted to your spouse and at times you're going to be at odds because you are going to put so much effort into your relationship with god that you start losing your relationship with your spouse when your ministry comes before your marriage recipe for disaster and that happens to a lot of a lot of ministers and a lot of people you have to be able to balance and you have to be able to you know understand that my full devotion to god now that i'm married is very difficult now um and then what happens you have kids and it's even harder then because now it's like i have to worry about the kids so much that i don't even have time for my my spouse and now 
I'm worried about my spouse and my kids. I don't even, I'm not even thinking about what I can do to serve God. You have to have balance. You cannot allow things in life to get in the way of your devotion to God because that's first and foremost and your devotion to your husband, wife, your devotion to your children. That's, that's so important. Mm -hmm. So in conclusion, things to keep in mind, I guess, are number one, always keep in mind, like if you feel like you're far from God, just remember the things you did at first and go and do them like it's it's not hard um if you remember a time where you really loved god and you were really passionate and you were reading your bible every day and you had a plan and you were reading just go do that get get somebody who can keep you accountable and have them hold you accountable if you're married it can be your spouse you know because honestly they're going to be completely honest and blunt with you Number two, remember your aim is to please the one who enlisted you when when your aim in life should always be to please God, right? Because if you're trying to please man, you're no longer trying to please God. So remember to do that. Remember that God has an outline for life. And if you follow in it, you'll always please God, mm -hmm. right? And then last but not least, remember that you should be passionate about winning souls and that you should enjoy it. It shouldn't be a burden to you to, to, to reach out to people. It shouldn't be a burden to you because at the end of the day, somebody did it for you, right? How did you come to know Jesus? Jesus didn't appear to you like he did to Paul. I know that for a fact. If he did, please come tell me. I want to hear your story. But Paul, Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus in a miraculous way. Not everybody has that kind of an encounter with Jesus. Yeah. My encounter with Jesus looked like somebody telling me the gospel. I got saved because I believed and trusted in Jesus on that day. And then it's just constantly people pouring into me. You need to be somebody who's pouring into people as well. Um, but an empty cup can't pour. It has nothing to pour out. So you have to constantly be filled by God in your devotion to him and constantly be pouring out what you hear from God to others. Um, it's our, it's our, it should be our nature. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We appreciate you taking time out to listen to the word of God. Take a second and give this podcast a like and share it with friends and family. This greatly helps out our channel and affects our reach and our communities. Please look us up at Viva Church and subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook.